Crush on Radio was a weekly podcast about being a music fan and all that entails. Wait, was? Oh, did I say was? <laughs> God damn it. Cut. We're dead. We're, 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 we're broadcasting from beyond the grave. It's second episode and we're already done. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a good run, guys. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. Rush On Radio is a weekly podcast about being a music fan and all that entails. Hosts and music geeks Richard J. Anderson, Andrew Marvin, and Matt Keeley talk about what they love and what they don't. And, most importantly, why. I am Matt Keeley from kittysneezes.com. And I am Richard J. Anderson from Sandspoint and a contributor to kittysneezes.com. And I am Andrew Marvin of andrewmarvin.net, and I have not contributed to kittysneezes.com. Yet. But Yet. you should. But I will. All the cool kids are doing it, which is totally a lie. Yes, I've been through being cool for years. Yes. And this is a, this is a milestone. It's our second episode. How many podcasts can say they've gotten this far? Yeah. I, I think we should just take the week off. Celebrate. Well, you know, you only get to do your second episode once, I always say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless there's a catastrophic Skype problem, and then we'll have to do the whole thing over again. Bite my tongue. Yeah, oh, we're, we're no strangers to that one, though, are we? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I can't believe I accidentally left that one bit in the first episode. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but I, I got the worst of it. Oh, hey, there's the ice cream truck again. Oh. Hmm. I don't know if you're hearing that. I hear a little bit. Okay. So, um, do we want to... Cut all this out. Uh, Mark, Jim. uh, (laughs) So, um, do we want to start with uh, the... uh, We're no longer doing New to Me, New to You, because six albums is a lot. So, do you want to just do, like, our our picks with their new or not-so-new first? I think that, that could be a good plan. Okay. Since since you did the intro, why don't you uh, take the uh, take the lead on this one? Okie dokie. Uh, the album that I chose this week was Ready Maids by Chumbawamba. Uh, y'all probably know the band name Chumbawamba from the um, annoyingly ubiquitous uh, track Tub Thumping. You know the uh, the one that front bites go. I get knocked down. I get out again. <laughs> You know, and then, you know, as they puke out the window of their, you know, evacuating their stomach of their 47th beer. But, um, but it was also recently covered by They Might Be Giants, so. Indeed. And, but the thing is, is that, like, uh, because of that song, like, I think, uh, Chumbawamba got kind of unfairly maligned. Um, they, that was actually, like, not their first record. They, that was like their, geez, like seventh or eighth. Um, they've been going since the eighties and they're actually still going today. Um, and though you might not realize it from that one song too, they're a very political band. Uh, they're all, uh, all anarchists actually. And so it's, 
uh, uh, Trumbo Wumba album usually has like pretty great design and lots and lots of um, essays before each song talking about the political ramifications of each song and the message that they're trying to convey and and whatnot. And some, you know, I, I'm pretty left wing, but I, I think sometimes they go a little far for me even. So, you know, but they do a damn great pop song and ready maids is full of them. So um, this one is a little bit more electronic and also it kind of, um, the, the title kind of refers to the fact that um, as with a lot of their stuff, uh, Chumbawamba has built a lot of the songs on this record out of samples as well as uh, performing live. And in fact, the track that I'd like to talk about, uh, Jacob's Ladder, is also built on a sample from uh, the classic uh, blue or British blues number uh, Angie, which was also covered by Simon and Garfunkel, which is probably the, the version that most people know. And it's the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do kind of guitar riff, which you will hear in the sample, which could be playing right about now! The king of nowhere He's the man you all died for On this Jacob's ladder The only way up is down Three days in the water Watching all the secrets drown Jacob's ladder And I send him to the war Jobby's lying, Jobby's lying And I send him um, that, uh, that was a, bit, a little bit of Jacob's Ladder, and you probably noticed the uh, reference to the King of Norway is probably a little weirdly specific. Um, there aren't a lot of songs about the King of Norway either way, really, especially by folks who aren't Norwegian. So I, I'll explain a little bit about the song. Like uh, Basically, uh, during uh, World War II... Uh, Winston Churchill let five or fifteen hundred ninety-one sailors drown after their ships were um, sunk off the coast of Norway by uh, the by Germans. But Churchill thought that a rescue attempt would have alerted the Germans to the evacuation of the Norwegian royal family, so he ordered the ships to abandon the drowning men. So um, that's that's what the song is about, and you know the the King of Norway, he's the man you all die for. Uh, right before the chorus, so it's uh, it's a it's a it's a bit of a happy jaunty tune, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and also, as have you heard from the sample, it also kind of references the uh, the biblical story of Bathsheba, with you know, um, send him off to war to be slain, uh, which I basically totally know mostly from the Residents Wormwood album. So thank you, Residents. Um, I just like basically the entire. Well, the entire album, but the entire sound of it, where it has that really cool electronic chill kind of thing, but there's a lot of samples, but they aren't, um, it, they aren't obtrusive. They're, they, they fit in really well with the, with the uh, rest of the record. And I, 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 this is probably, it's hard to choose, but I think my, my favorite Chumba Wumba record, um, it was actually kind of funny because that was also the first one that I heard because I got it, uh, when I was doing my college radio, uh, my college radio station, we got it in and we got it. And I was like, I played it as like really liked it, but I actually told the rep that I probably couldn't add it because I was kind of embarrassed <laughs> because of, you know, you know, all, all I could ever think of was that was tub thumping. 
And, and oddly enough, the the record rep actually seemed to go, "Oh, okay, yeah, I understand." <laughs> which is which is a shame. And now I would go back and kick my asses because it's an awesome record, and I I totally should have played the hell out of it. But we didn't get any listeners anyway, so it's not like it would have turned the tide or anything. So, what do y'all think? Well, I think that um, I had obviously probably like more than a few people. I had no idea um, of any of Chumbawamba's other uh, work. And I was reminded of that joke that I heard somewhere that goes, hey, what's the name of that other Chumbawamba song? <laughs> to which they respond in silence, of course. Right. Um, but I was really pleased listening to this record because I really enjoyed uh, Jacob's Ladder. And whereas last week I spent many hours uh, listening to your picks, Rich, this time I spent a lot more time listening to uh, this record and Jacob's Ladder in particular. And um, I just really enjoyed the whole feel of it, that great acoustic riff. It's got that really laid-back groove, and uh, I really enjoyed the swanky horns. And I just thought it was a great track, and I was um, surprised to learn that this band had another great song, and I'm surprised that more people aren't aware of it. Yeah, um, actually, too, the the funny thing is, is uh, the, the record that uh, Tub Thumping came from, Tub Thumper, um, actually had a really great single too called Amnesia, which I urge everyone to go out and check out because it really should have been a, uh, a, a bigger hit, I think, but oh well. Oh. I'm, I actually was slightly more familiar with Chumbawamba, even though I, I know about, I, I have their collaboration with Negative Land, uh, the ABCs of Anarchism. Mm-hmm. Which is which is an interesting uh, little uh, little EP, but skews way more negative land though, don't it? Yeah, so I, I was kind of taken. I didn't really know that what to expect. I was really expecting more of the negative land approach to samples and collage, and not, I guess, the Chumbawamba approach to samples and collage. And I mean, Jacob's Ladder. It's an okay song. It didn't really click for me as something I'm going to say. Oh, I have to come back to this. I have to listen to this. A lot, but I, I mean, it's it's just a little. I'm just I was expecting something else, I think, and I just was a little disappointed that it wasn't what I expected. But it's still pretty good. I'm gonna have to keep this around and certainly listen to it and some of their other stuff, just to sort of get my, get my feet a little wetter into it. Um, I will say that I'm glad you said mentioned the, the, some of the, their political views. Because I'm pretty left-wing myself, and I, I'm sitting there listening to this at work, and I'm going, okay, <laughs> okay, that's, hmm, no, they're not, it's not exactly subtle, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they, they really aren't. <laughs> like, one of the things, like, politically, and, and it's kind of hard for me to pin down with them, is uh, whether or not they feel that violence is an acceptable um method because there's actually a song of theirs on one of their earlier records which uh has the line uh sirhan sirhan where did you go and um sirhan sirhan is the fellow who uh assassinated rfk so i was sort of it's a that song um is a great song but that line kind of makes me go ooh. yeah i i that it would make me do it, it made me do that too i didn't even hear the song and just hearing you mention that line just went Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's on the Swinging with Raymond album, I think is where that one's from. But yeah, but it's like, it's this really great pop song and you have this like really great, you know, 
you know, two or three part harmony going, Sir Han, Sir Han, where did you go? And it's like, oh, oh. And I, I actually looked up just to make sure there wasn't like another Sir Han, Sir Han, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's if I do get more into this, they're going to be one of those bands where I have to just sort of mentally detach myself and the music from the political message at some time, at some points, which is hard to do. Yeah, and I kind of agree. It's like sometimes it's it's a little much. I mean, some of the ones that I I you know agree with because it'll be you know you know offense or like non offensive messages like hey, not being a jerk is good thing, you know. <laughs> How but, dare you say that? How dare you? Yeah, but then you have like the stuff like that where you're sort of huh and and I I don't know it's it's hard to put down. I actually was hoping I could get an interview with them for Kitty Sneezes a, a long time ago, but they never responded. So because hmm. I, I I would like to know about like that Sirhan Sirhan line just because it's and I mean they're British too, so they might not know the. I guess the weight and the impact that it, that that line would have in the states. So I don't know. Right, mm. sort of a cultural. So thing Matt, too, Matt yeah. oh, sorry. I have a question for you. <laughs> okay. So how does? I mean, so so far I really I'm familiar with two Chumbawamba songs now. <laughs> uh, so you've increased my my catalog of theirs by two hundred percent. So um, how does Tub Thumping, the I Get Knocked Down song? compare to the rest of their catalog is that like because it was you know it's kind of known as a one-hit wonder and are is most of the catalog like that or is it kind of a deviation from their normal sound and maybe that's why it got some leverage or do you have a take on that um it's kind of hard because it's kind of yes and no um like uh um tub thumping itself is a little punchier than a lot of their stuff like with that that driving, you know, I get knocked down uh, kind of chorus. And as you probably saw from the They Might Be Giants uh, cover of it, I mean, it's like, it is really good for getting people fired up. Um, but a lot of their songs, like like with, you know, Jacob's Ladder and a lot of the other stuff on Tub Thumping, like uh, Don't Try This is At Home is the other one I like could like easily break to for the hook. I, I actually ended up practically flipping a coin. <laughs> but, I actually... Like, I loved oh. Don't Try This at Home. I think that was a much... I, I like that a lot better than Jacob's Ladder, actually, so... Oh, okay, I throw, yeah. I had to throw that in there while we are talking about it. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it was hard for me because I love those two songs a lot. I mean, I love that whole record, but those are, like, kind of a couple of the real standouts. But it's, like, they're very hooky, and they have, like, a definite pop sensibility, And but it's, like, I guess, um, in terms of marrying the shouty... Uh, driving Chumbawamba with the, the pop hook mastery of Chumbawamba, um, Tub Thumping probably does the best job of it. Um, their earlier stuff was a lot more punk, and as it as they kind of grew, they got a lot poppier and poppier, but there's still a lot of songs where you have the uh, the, the nasal British guy shouting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's not nearly as bad as the shouty guy in the sugar cubes, but... <laughs> But, um, yeah, and then basically as they got later and later, like, he, you know, stopped, you know, shouting as much, <laughs> you know. And it, and they really went more pop. And actually now, like, the band is about, like, half as big. It used to be eight people, give or take. Now it's about four, give or take. And they've turned into basically a folk combo. Hmm. And uh, their new album is called uh, ABCDEFG, and it's about uh, music. 
uh, and um, of course, you know, political power in music because it is Chumbawamba after all. But uh, but it's it's a really good album, but it's a lot it's a lot mellower. Like if you take Jacob's Ladder, say, and strip out like a lot of the electronics, you you kind of have kind of what Chumbawamba sounds like now. Hmm. Nice. So. It, I'll have to check that out just out of, just for sheer curiosity's sake. Yeah, I, I really dig them, and I think they got a little bit of a, a bum rap, but, you know, it's, you know, and, and I, the, the funny thing is, is, like, when Tub Thumping was around, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it was only because... Is there any... Oh. That's okay. Oh, I was going to is... say... Oh. <laughs> you go. Okay. Uh, it was only because, like, uh, one of my best friends in high school played me Amnesia because he loved it because the hook was the... Uh, do you suffer from long-term memory loss? I can't remember. And he liked the joke there. <laughs> and I was like, this is actually a really good pop song, too. Or, you know, a really good pop song. And so between that and getting uh, ready-mades at my radio station, it basically said, like, okay, these guys are, are, are really awesome, despite that one song that no one will shut up about. So is there any significance to the name Chumbawamba? Because like, I had no idea about their political leanings until you just told me, Matt. So is there, I'm kind of browsing their Wikipedia article right now, but is there any significance to the name? Because it sounds kind of like a goofy name that doesn't really sound very anarchy or anarchist. Yeah, and honestly, like, I don't know. The, the story that I had heard, but I've also heard that they tend to tell other stories, too, is that like uh, one of the lead members, like I think it was Dan Burt, who's the shouty guy, um, uh, he had a dream in which men were chumbas and women were wumbas and he kind of like shoved the two together. Um, I don't know if he's blowing smoke or not, you know, it could be that kind of thing where, oh, um, like the KLF would pretty much make up a new, uh, explanation for their name every time you asked them. So it could be that same kind of deal. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You might want to shove a little something about the KLF in the show notes because... I think mm. that, that that might be a reference that's going to go over a few people's heads. Okay. Uh, if anything, read the uh, read about them because they are awesome and actually pretty hilarious. Like there's like not so much their music, but the the things that they would do, you know, outside of the music is they they burned a million quid. <laughs> that's that's not a euphemism. No, no, they 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 took out a million pounds of the of um. From the bank, drove to um, uh, island off of uh, Scotland and made a big bonfire of it, and then filmed it. And that's all you that's need fun. to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then they toured the film. <laughs> art music is inter- art music is fun. <laughs> yes. Which I think, uh, if it's okay with you, Andrew, kind of leads me into my pick. Sure, go for it. I think yeah. that was a good segue. Yeah. Uh, in the world of we're. It's art music night, apparently, and uh, I'm, I picked uh, Big Science, the first album by performance artist, uh, inventor, electronic musician, poet, visual artist, uh, NASA's first, last, and only artist in residence, um, oh god, uh, wife of Lou Reed, uh, a million other things, Laurie Anderson, <coughs> Mark. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, Laurie Anderson, <laughs> no relation. And uh, big science. The the big song on that is "Oh Superman." 
which was, oddly enough, a minor hit in the UK, promoted to hell and back by the late DJ John Peel. And actually, in the show notes, I found this video of Top of the Pops, where they do this bizarre, horrible dance routine to it. And you've both heard the song. It's not a oh. dance number. It, it's, it barely a, it's barely a pop song, honestly. And I, I mean that in the best way. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, you know, for, the, for the listeners at home, why don't you hear a bit right now? Oh, Superman. Oh, John. Oh, Superman. Not exactly a poppy, dancey tune. Um, just a little bit of context. Uh, oh, Superman and indeed all the tracks on Big Science were part of uh, a larger work of hers called United States 1 through 4, which, uh, after having some of the more visual elements removed, a recording of it was uh, released uh, as United States Live on four CDs or uh, five LPs. And the general gist of United States Live is, or United States rather, is just the oddness of life in America, circa 1981, and big science in particular about the, um, you know, you, you, there's two different uh, discussion, two different topics uh, that the song kind of has. One is sort of the Iran-Contra not the Iran-Contra affair, what's the... The, Iran, the Iranian hostage crisis, rather. And also just the role of science and technology in America. But uh, one other story about the song is that in 2001, Laurie went on a retrospective tour performing some of her older pieces, which she doesn't usually do. And in the middle of his tour, 9-11 happened which gives a whole new meaning to a set of lyrics, here come the planes, they're American planes, mm -hmm. made in America, smoking or non-smoking. And in the live album from that tour, which was actually recorded about a week after the attacks, a little over a week after the attacks, it you can just hear the emotion in her voice as she's doing those lines, and it's, it's, it's very intense. And there's also a video in the show notes of her performing that song, on television a few weeks after uh, the month after the attack so you can still get that punch to the gut as mm -hmm. it were so that's that's a superman not exactly a pop song but worth talking about i think i'd love to hear what you guys think well i think that um having no previous experience with uh laurie anderson before this week um i had a pretty hard time with this song and the more i listened to it the more I get it a little bit, but I have to say that my first impression was not negative, but just nothing kind of like what, how you were talking about with um, your reaction to Jacob's Ladder, Rich. Uh, just it didn't really grab me right away because it is so sprawling and uh, sparse and minimalist, and there's not really a hook that grabs you right away. Um, and I had a hard time with the, 
the ha 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 or the ha 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 that repeats throughout the entire song. Um, she reminded me of sort of a like a spoken word emojin heap, sort of uh, at least in terms of the vocal performance with the, voco- uh, the vocoder and everything or the tone of her vocals. And um, I thought the birds in the background that was cool. I enjoyed that, um, but I think it's this song is very listening oriented. Um, like we said, it's not it's not a really up pop song and it's not definitely not a dance number so I don't think it would be music that I would reach for no, I don't think I would get the urge to listen to it or to put it on like I do with uh, some other types of music but I appreciate what the mood that she's trying to create um, with the dynamics of the song and and uh, sort of its tone so this was a challenging one for me but uh, I'm definitely willing to give it a few more shots what you might want to consider doing is watch the, the video mm-hmm. for it. Uh, a lot of her early work is very visual, which leaves us modern audiences kind of screwed because uh, the United States performance piece was only done a handful of times. Uh, it was never – only some small parts of it were filmed, none of, none of which were Oh Superman, by the way. So uh, the music video is, to my understanding, kind of how she performed it in concert. Um, but yeah, just you need the visual element adds a lot to this. Yeah, song. I can imagine. And I think there's a whole episode. Yeah, we could we could probably do a whole episode on music videos and how they change songs. That someone should Definitely. diary that. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and do you want to take a take okay, a okay? Um, one thing I've kind of noticed is between this and Jacob's Ladder, uh, um, we didn't really, like, at least Rich and I didn't really pick, you know, terribly, like, happy, friendly songs, did we? You know, it's like, you know, I mean, mine's about, you know, 1600 sailors drowning for royalty, and Rich has the one that's got, like, the really brutal tide in 9-11, despite being recorded 30 years or, or 20 years earlier, and, and, you know, it's all like, you know... We're you know we're we're all about the downers apparently so far so I think uh, I think Andrew I think uh, you, you're the one who's hopefully going to save us here <laughs> but <I'll> try <laughs> yeah we weren't trying the, the the rest of the show the series is not going to be all downer music by us I promise you'll you'll hear some actual fun poppy stuff I promise I promise <laughs> <laughs> but um I love this um it's weird because I honestly I don't have a, a huge grounding in Laurie Anderson's work. It's like, I know her and you would think that I would be all over her, but it's, it's weird because like, for whatever reason, like she just kind of passed me by and not because I don't like her, just because I, for whatever reason, I've never really been exposed to her stuff that much. And so I, so like, honestly, I mean, this is actually the first time I sat down and listened to the big science LP which is kind of amazing considering my my music, my particular strain of music in Drury. But um, I, I really like it. I, I thought it was like kind of amazing that it honestly did not sound like 1982 at all. Like, it, I mean, it, it didn't sound like it was recorded then. It, it could have been kind of recorded kind of any time. And, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of odd. And also there's that kind of thing about that um, 
you were you were kind of uh, talking about Andrew about the uh, it's very active listening and not something that you can necessarily just kind of you know you know throw on at a party or, or whatever and it's sort right. of it's kind of funny because that's like when I was listening to it I kind of got a vibe from like that kind of is the same as the Residence Esco album which probably you know at least partially because like we actually reviewed that one this week at Kitty Sneezes but that's another record that you know you you don't just you know listen to like pop music it's 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 kind of an event and i i think big science is kind of an event too but i mean i just the entire thing just blew me away i mean like and though the but the the thing that you don't get with eskimo so much is that there's like some really poppy segments in the album i mean like like i thought like sweaters was like a really great song and i don't know it was just it it was one of those things where it made me like so jazzed that I just kind of my notes, like usually when I write notes, I write like at least sentences and stuff. But this one is just like fragments. Like my, my notes for this read, I'm, I'm reading these uh, verbatim does not sound like 1982 at all. Kind of reminds me a little of post T H David Byrne, but it might be the suit on the sleeve. School, cool and sparse, almost like Eskimo. Sort of lynchy in two. Sweaters is badass. Sort of weirdly have internalized Laurie Anderson de- style delivery sometimes when I do spoken word kind of stuff despite not really having listened to her until now, which is kind of odd. Surprisingly poppy in places. Which kind of s- almost comes off like its own little weird stupid little poem. <laughs> so... It's better than anything I read in my uh, college fic- literary, uh, fic- uh, sorry, creative writing <laughs> course. <laughs> so, so apparently, Laurie um, Anderson does that and makes me just sputter out half-formed ideas. <laughs> yeah. uh, and did you listen to just oh, Superman, or did you listen to the to the rest of the album too? At I think at, at I all? probably gave the entire album album maybe a couple of listens, but I spent most of my time with Oh Superman just because of its length. And I wanted to try to wrap my head around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, Matt, that you like sweaters. Cause that's actually my least favorite. Song oh, uh, what, what? <laughs> it's, well, I mean, it's, it's a B minus on a record. That's mostly A's makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. I really like from the air mm. and I just, I just love that delivery. The, you know, this is your captain. We are about to attempt a crash landing. Place your tray tables in their upright, locked position. That just, the way it's delivered, that saxophone just, that to me, that's, that strikes me as the pop song of the record, mm. actually. And it, it, or at least as close as it, as it gets to pop, I, I just, I love it. I, that's one of those songs that I'll actually put that on just for, to listen to it, not just not to go through the whole record, just to hear from the air and that delivery and those lyrics. Mm-hmm. But I'm weird. Uh-huh. We established that. Yeah. Well, the thing I like with her delivery too is that she she is very clearly savoring the words and the word choice. It's yeah. She's almost like you know chewing on them. You know, in in that uh, I don't mean in a bad bad way. I mean in a a you know. And she's not just throwing it out there. She's very deliberate about what she says. Yeah, you, you'll get that in a lot of her work. Um, less so on some of her middle period work, uh, when she start, 
uh, after her her third studio album, she or rather for her third studio album, she took singing lessons and she actually starts singing hmm. properly. But there's still some spoken word stuff, and her most recent album, Homeland, is very spoken word oriented. And I think this is going to be the last thing I say before we move on to uh, Andrew's pick because I, I I really want to talk about that. Mm, one yeah. Too. <laughs> but uh, Homeland is interesting because it, it's the first studio album she put out where you get her alternate persona. She has the tendency she mostly in concert. You'll you'll, you'll hear it on say United States and I think Home of the Brave, which is her concert film studio concert film album. Uh, but this electronically pitch shifted voice uh, that she uses to affect uh, a male persona and that plays a huge role on Homeland and it, it's all spoken that part and it's hearing that altered voice that clearly synthetic but also clearly masculine synthetic voice and the things that it's saying that he's saying will just rock your world but it, it's not a good starting point for her work I'd say work up to that check out um, Mr. Heartbreak, uh, Strange Angels. Um, not terribly fond of uh, Bright Red and uh, Life on a String, but yeah, I'm not. If you want to check this out, go ahead too. Eh, that that's that's all I have to say on Laurie Anderson for now. Nice. Right. Move on. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, making mirrors which is uh, the 2011 album by Gautier. And there's a link, there's a YouTube link in the show notes about how to pronounce his name. Um, I was about to say, that's, is that how, really how you pronounce it? According Gautier, to the YouTube I video, was stumped. is Gautier. Maybe with more of an accent. Is it one but. of those YouTube, is it one of those, like, because there's these series of videos on YouTube called Pronunciation Manual. Yes, or, it is. When it's all completely, but. Because it's all completely wrong pronunciation. Right, style. there's there's like a parody account. This one, I think, pronunciation book is the um, is the, the real, real the real one, right? And then I think uh, it's like pronunciation manual or something that totally just butchers all of the all of the words. I'll put a link to a couple of my favorites because those can be really funny. Um, but I, I my my favorite is uh, Juggy Bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's pull ourselves out of that rat hole. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, the guy right, with the so, funny name, talk about his record. <laughs> yeah, so I love this record. And um, this is the first Gautier album that I've ever heard. Um, and I just fell in love with it from the moment I uh, put on the first track. So I've, I heard about him through uh, a message board that I'm a, a member of. But I somebody posted the YouTube video to a cover of somebody that I used to know, which is probably the most famous track, definitely the most famous track off of this record. And it was a cover by Walk Off the Earth. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. But uh, that's the first time. Yeah. The, the guys on the, the one guitar. Yes. It's like five, like four guys and a girl on one acoustic guitar. Yeah. It's a pretty good, pretty good cover. Um, but so I got, I, you know, I enjoyed the song, so I thought I would, you know, go back to the original. And I just fell in love with this record from start to finish. And I can't really think of anything negative to really say about it, but I do want to talk about the song Save Me, uh, Matt, because I know you had a little trouble with that one. So 
no, oh, save me is before. the save me is the one that I liked. Oh, I'm sorry. A state Thank of the you. art is the one that I didn't. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> sorry to barge in. That's We're right. going to have a date. <laughs> uh, it's a challenging track, but anyway. So somebody that I used to know is kind of the most famous track, and I, I think despite I usually tend to shy away from the mainstream singles because they are tailored for the mainstream, and so for me they tend to have less depth than some of the other album tracks uh, generally. But I really like this as a single, and I think it's got a really nice contrast between the male and the female voice with um, Kimbra, who I'm also not very familiar with as a female vocalist either, but uh, I think she does a great job, and she's got great shoulders in the music video. Uh, if you like bare shoulders, you should definitely look at the video. It's in the show notes. Uh, and I think it's just a beautiful song with a great melody, and it contrasts with the emotional content of the song. And it's a great breakup song. And I just think it's really well done. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about my favorite song on the album first, and then we can talk about State of the Art. And um, my favorite track is Save Me, which is the penultimate track on the album. And the reason I love this track is because it's just so uplifting. Um, and again, sort of like somebody that I used to know, it con the content of the lyrics contrasts with the uplifting quality of the music, which is a, which is a dynamic that I really enjoy. And so the lyrics are sort of this feeling of hopelessness, of not wanting to get out of bed. And there's a great line that goes, I could not love because I could not love myself, which is uh, actually one of my favorite quotes that goes, you can't, love your, you can't love another until you love yourself. It goes something like that. Um, and I love that chanting chorus that comes in right at the beginning. Uh, maybe we'll listen to that right about oh, now. And um, that chorus is great, and the choir, background vocals, and my favorite line is, ready for that lonely life to end, which comes in towards the end of the song. And I just think it's a very uplifting tune, and speaking of that concept of that person that kind of lifts you up out of your funk and makes you not only feel better, but makes you better as a person. And I just think it's a great cover, a uh, great closer, rather, uh, for the album before... Uh, Bronte, which is kind of a quiet, nice little outro. So, did you guys have any thoughts on "Save Me"? I I, I really like that one too. I, that like because um, I, I know that we're kind of like ramping up to the whole like state of the art, you know, throwdown. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like aside from that that uh, state of the art, I actually liked the entire record a lot, and and that was one of the uh, one of the ones that I really really liked um, a lot. I, I kind of got kind of a new order kind of vibe from that one. Save me. Uh, I don't know if it really clicked with me the way it clicked with you folks, but I, I, you it I enjoyed it too. <laughs> Can't, you know, we're we're all different people, which I think is what makes the show great, among other things. Uh, but no, it was the, the the two words that come to mind. Well, one acronym and one word that come to mind when I'm listening to this is AM pop, but I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. It's the sort of 
you don't hear people making music like this these day in this day and age. It's it's it feels very much like a throwback to something my parents would have had on in the car in the '60s or in the '70s. Uh, well, maybe my mother, less less than my father. My father was uh, listening to the rock <laughs> station, but <laughs> no, it's it's very different than what I I'm usually listening mm-hmm. to. But I just I love the production. I love the the vocal. I love the guy's yes. voice. Mm-hmm. My God, this this man has an incredible range. Yeah, and and isn't isn't the like it basically all him too on the record? Like, isn't it one of those? Yeah, I was I was gonna say there. I have a link to the making mirrors. Uh, the making of making mirrors documentary uh and it's really good it's like a 10 minute video but it was just recorded he's a solo artist and uh he just recorded it in i think it might even be a his parents uh in a barn on his parents land in australia and a lot of the video is just him in the studio surrounded by all these instruments and keyboards and stuff and you can just imagine him crafting this you know this album this great album out of nothing uh, so I agree with you, Rich. I think it's a uh, great, wonderful production, and I just really love the whole sound of the album as a whole. Mm-hmm. Which which probably brings us to State of the Art, which, as someone who actually liked the song, I'll be the first to admit it, it sticks out of the record like a sword. It does. Huh? Yeah, so why don't, Matt, why don't you tell me what your thoughts were on it, and then I'll kind of respond. Okay, um... And like I said, like, you know, I, I, I agree too with Rich because, like, it is kind of a sore, thru- the sore thumb on the record. Because, I mean, like, a lot of the stuff I love, like, I mean, like, for me, like, I loved uh, um, I Feel Better a lot with that retro mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. But State of the Art for me, it felt like it was winking. Like, it, it felt like he was, you know, like, because I know that last week we talked about novelty, so- novelty music a lot. And, um, I guess for me, like that was kind of the other side of the novelty music coin is that he was like trying too hard to be cutesy or funny. And with the, the faux reggae B and the, the kind of corny vocoder, it just seemed like it just seemed kind of cheesy. And, but in a bad, like winky sort of way, like, um, and I mean, this is like not really a fair comp, uh, comparison, but, Kind of like Richard Cheese, if you've listened to him, he's sort of eh about it. Where there's other people like uh, Frank Bennett, who's actually a fellow Australian, uh, but uh, who do it, who do the same shtick but straight up, and it works a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's kind of what's going wrong with um, State of the Art is that he he's being too self consciously like goofy, and it, mm-hmm. it just kind of went. Eh. And I also have to admit that I do have like a incoming prejudice against reggae music. I, that's the one genre I just fucking hate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I I admit that it is kind of an uphill battle for me on that one anyway. Mm-hmm. But cool, um, Rich, you have anything to say about state of the art before I defend it? Yeah. Well, I'm going to take your side. Okay. Actually, I- I'm defending it. Uh. Now I will admit, like it does stick out of there, like like the uh, the proverbial sore thumb. Uh, um, there was one sort of thing I was kind of miffed at. I wasn't sure if it was from a lyrical standpoint, uh, mocking electronic music to for the sake of satire, or just being you know, or just good natured mm-hmm. ribbing. You know, it's like I can't tell if it's pro or anti synthesized music, pro or, pro or anti electronic stuff 
But I think that's kind of part of the appeal that you're, I'm trying to just figure out, where is he coming from yeah. with this? Aside from just giving us a really fun song. Right. And as for the... I didn't think the vocoder was all that cheesy, but then again, my favorite Neil Young album is Transfer Trans. the Wind. <laughs> yeah. I love that record. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know if you ever heard that I don't one, think Andrew, so. But it's his electronic okay. album. Neil Young doing electronic In 1982. With, with vocoders and a Sinclair... I think it was a Sinclair. I think, yeah. I, and it... Probably bust out my copy. But, but it, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's unlike any other record of his, but I, I love it to bits. And so that's that's sort of the vibe I got from this. That this is sort of just this fun, maybe sarcastic, maybe sincere tribute to you know sort of electronic and synth pop mm-hmm. music from an artist who really works more in this uh, AM pop sort of vein, right? And I just, I just dig it. I thought it was really fun. Cool. And I, I didn't notice, it, realize it was a reggae beat, but I've got no problem with reggae. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think reggae either, uh, but I could see how you would get that sort of vibe from it. Um, like I said, my my sensors might be too sensitive on on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. Well, I totally see where you're coming from, Matt, because it is, you know, it does stick out on the album. And, but I think it might be kind of like you're saying, a conscious decision on his part, because I know in the, in the making of video, which is in the show notes, he, at the beginning, he says that, I guess I haven't listened to any any of his other uh, records, like I said, but I guess in the past he made sort of more electronic-esque music. And he specifically said that on this record, he wanted to go in a more acoustic sort of direction. So I don't know if maybe state of the art is like a, a uh, an acknowledgement of his electronic music past. Uh, any Gautier fans might have to let us know about that. Um, but so he could be coming from that direction. But I do think he's very uh, self-aware of how much, how different this song is compared to the rest of the record. Um, but for me, it it really works uh, with the the vocoder. And I love the groove of it. I love the the strings, which presumably are electronic strings, but just that swoop and dive that the strings do towards the end. And there's that great sort of slap bass bridge section and the, the organ break at the end where almost everything cuts out except for the quiet organ in the background. And uh, for me, it just, it really works and it does stick out on the album, but it, it complements it more of rather than tarnishes the rest of the album. Um, and, you know, it is... The song itself is kind of self-aware because it's talking about electronic music and all these uh, different synthesizers and stuff, and the song itself is obviously created in that vein. Um, so I think it was a conscious decision on his part, and I guess it you know it just depends on the listener whether or not it... Uh, if it's an admirable choice or if it didn't really work. Yeah. And, so in short, in short, music yes. is subjective. And, and just, Brilliant. Just to make clear too, is I mean the al- or that song didn't sync the record for me or anything. It was just sort of like, I, yeah. I just thought it was funny because it was one of the ones that you had kind of picked out as a focus track. And I was sort of like, really? <laughs> yeah. It did for me. I kind of felt like you did upon my first couple of listens. Uh, just that it was kind of gimmicky. 
and you know oh who you know the vocals are so different and maybe we might stick a uh, stick a clip of the song somewhere in here for you guys but uh but it's grown to become one of my uh favorites tracks on the album so fair enough <laughs> bring it up <laughs> that was the Good worst throwdown ever <laughs> 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 We're all way too nice to each other. We're, we're never going to get rid of this way. Everything turned out okay in the end. <coughs> yeah, I know. It never really works out when you're expecting a fight and come away with, I disagree, but respect your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> this is the internet. We have to be at each other's throats and calling each other dirty yes. words. Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, nobody's compared anyone to a Nazi yet. Well, the show is young. <laughs> right. And so that's our picks. Thanks. And I guess we're going to, if we have some time to switch over to um, our topic, and we're going to pick up from something that was mentioned yesterday, uh, yesterday, <laughs> last week, uh, about downloading out-of-print records, and I guess just the ethics of downloading in general. And I don't know, would, would anybody mind if I go on to a, slum, a small month? Go for it. Okay. Um I'll be honest, uh, the fact that I have such a wide uh, spectrum of music that I listen to is purely and totally a function of the fact that I can just get whatever the hell I want off the internet and almost always for free. Oh shit, did I just hear silence? <laughs> you fool! Um, you, I've destroyed us all. But I also do feel a little guilty for when I download some stuff, if it's by an active producing artist, if it's in print, I, I, I want to give them money somehow if, if slash when I ever have money to give them. I'll go to concerts. I'll buy merchandise. I've downloaded almost every Devo record that they put out, but I've bought almost all of those records in some form as well. And enough merchandise, I think, to make up for the ones that I have that I didn't buy. I should honestly provide a picture of this. Um, but also, but it's the out of the print, out of print stuff that leaves me sort of less ethically torn. And I'd, I'd love to get your people's opinion on this. I mean, I can't go to my record store, even my my used record store nine times out of ten, and find something by the Fatima Mansions where, where almost all of their stuff is out of print. I can't find... Um, I can't buy on iTunes the first album by the Suburban Lawns, who I'm totally going to pick for a later episode. Um, I can't go to the... To, even at a used record store, I, can, I have trouble finding these things. And these bands are... Defu if the band's defunct, yeah, they're not going to get the money anyway, even if I buy a used record. So, who is it really hurting? Is it hurting? Do I should I feel bad, or at least conflicted? I, I I'd love to get your both of your takes on this because I'm still trying to make up my mind on well, this. Well, for me, my my rule of thumb is that if you're too stupid to release it, this means the record company is not the artist because you know they're the ones who have you know the the money issues. The labels don't really. But if you're too stupid to release it, I have no problem stealing it. Um, it's like there. I mean, especially to it in this age where you can also you can easily put stuff on iTunes for you know very little to no outlay, 
or you know print on demand kind of stuff you know it's like I, I i honestly do buy a lot of music but i also download a lot of music as well um but i mean I'm, and as a music consumer i i am what frank zappa termed a record fetishist i mean i really do like you know getting the record and looking at the sleeve while i listen to it and going over the liner notes and seeing you know who produced it and who played what on it and you know oh wow this one is that the cover photo was taken by this person and you know all that all that record nerd shit i i totally get into that and you don't get that with downloads but sometimes and i mean i like i know you know rich you're in a big city and i'm in seattle and i we have like a huge huge record store called bop street and i can get a lot of stuff there but there's still stuff that i can't get and i mean like for me it's like a, a band called slow children which i actually learned via download because the, their complete discography is available in mp3 format from a link on their wikipedia page because it's actually been like approved by uh the singer pal shazar she's been like yeah go for it because they were you know they didn't get any distribution back in 1981 82 whenever you know they were around stuff is out of print they're not known enough to really get like a big reissue campaign going so it's just sort of like you know here download their discography and i've been actually looking for you know real copies of the record and i i still haven't been able to find them but they're really really good and they're probably another one that i'll do for a uh a, a pick in the coming weeks but it's like you know if i can't get it legally or at least used i'm not gonna feel bad that you know that some record company out there, you know, it, it, it doesn't realize that, you know, space and bandwidth is, is absurdly cheap when you're that big. So it, and it costs nothing really to put it on iTunes and you might get a few bucks. Hmm. Right. Um, just to go back to the, you, uh, you mentioned the, the social and the singer put all their stuff online. Um, uh, Cathal Conklin's first solo album, Grand Necropolitan, for the longest time, he had a, an MP3 download on his website for it in really high-quality format, 64-kilobit uh, MP3s. <laughs> you know, I don't pretend to be able to tell the difference between a, a good MP3 and a, and a FLAC file or something, but I could totally tell that this was just <laughs> yeah. quality. But the, yeah, the album was good enough that I could put up with it until I was able to find a decent quality CD rip online. But again, he that's out of print. He doesn't ha he didn't have a record company to put that out there. So he's like, I want people to hear this. Um, I'm assuming the fact that it was shit quality was because he just didn't really know. You know, he's been making music since 1980 something. And he's not really a computer guy. So, yeah, I think I mean, for me, I'm not really near a big city. I'm in the Hartford area, which is equidistant between Boston and New York. And if I think of a record store, I'm pretty much looking at Best Buy and maybe Target or something like that. No real debt. Oh, I know, no real dedicated record store has kind of jumped to mind. So when I go to uh, acquire or buy new music, I'm 90% of the time I'm going online uh, unless I'm buying for a friend or relative or something who wants a you know an album or a soundtrack or something I'll get it off of Amazon um, 
partially because of the convenience, but also partially because the prices online are generally much cheaper than something you'll find at Best Buy. I mean, I don't know how much a record goes for at Best Buy these days, but I usually picture a CD in Best Buy being like seventeen ninety nine or something compared to nine ninety nine on iTunes or however much it is on Amazon. And um, so for me, I tend to support, I'm more than happy, obviously, to support the artists that I love. And for my favorite, favorite bands of all time, I tend to be a completionist and go for, try to own the entire discography and I'll happily pay for the entire discography. Um, Umphreys McGee is one of those bands and I have a couple of their early records are out of print because uh, they went through a lineup change and I guess that they just don't uh, produce those earlier albums anymore. And um, so though that's the kind of thing that I, because it's not out of malicious intent, it's out of love for the band that you want this music. And a lot of the artists that I listen to now seem to be more focused on getting their music into people's hands as easily as possible. And it kind of reminds me of the Louis C.K., uh, experiment that he did with his DVD, uh, producing it entirely himself, putting it on his own website for $5 and just making it as easy as possible for people to get. Uh, and this is kind of what, you know, what Dan and Merlin talk about on the Back to Work podcast is just make stuff that you love and that are proud of and just make it as easy as possible for as many people to get it. Um, I think that's a lot of the artists that I listen to now are kind of going that route. Uh, they tend to give music away a lot of times. Or uh, I know Radiohead, I think it was with In Rainbows, did that pay-your-own-price uh, experiment, which I think went really well. Um, Gautier's official YouTube account has put most of the tracks of Making Mirrors on YouTube. Um, and I know I'm not too familiar with Jonathan Colton, but I think he's fairly well-known for making his music easy to get also because that's what's important, and it's not... Um, I mean, it is about the money as far as their livelihood goes. It's not about the money in the same way that it is for the record companies. Um, so, yeah, I'm a proponent of, of downloading and iTunes in particular because I think it's a great vehicle for acquiring new music. It's cheap, it's fast, it's reliable, it's easy, and you can find pretty much everything within reason on there. And I don't listen to too many out-of-print uh, records, but that's okay. Yeah, well, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, and okay, now we're going to get interesting because um, there's two there's sort of two sides to this coin on this. Um, uh, there was an article I saw <coughs> floating around, um, a talk done by I forget the gentleman's name, but he was the in Camper Van. Oh, Beethoven. David Lowry. I just yeah, and meet the new boss worse than the old boss. Worse than the old boss? Yep, David Lowry. And just so you know, do you, do you guys, there's fireworks going on a few, not too far from me. I don't know if you folks can hear that. <laughs> a little bit, but it just sounds um, like, you know, there's like a marching band who's kind of erratic with their uh, bass drum. <laughs> yeah, so apologies for that. And he, he makes a very good point that about, some of the difficulties with making money online, and let me see if I can. I prepared by by putting the this as a note in my in my notes, but I didn't prepare so far enough as to actually get to the part where he talks about how much money people make 
uh, from certain things. Oh, boy. But it's, yeah. Here we go. Uh, about two, three quarters of the way down, he's got two, we have two slides here. Um, and you'll find a link to this in the show notes, of course. Uh, 1996, a CD album sold in an independent store for 16 bucks. Yeah, the artist got about 250 which covered recording expenses and touring risk. Uh, the record label and distributor got about 750 for promotion, publicity, advertising, manufacturing, blah, 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 blah. And they, you know, <coughs> and their risk was just providing the capital for the recording. And the store got 6 bucks to cover for all their expenses. As uh, if you're buying the same album for 10 bucks on iTunes, the artist really only gets to about 2 bucks instead of 250 which adds up. Record label gets about 5 bucks and iTunes gets about 3 bucks and they don't have in the uh, eyes of uh, the uh, of David uh, sorry David Lowry any risk. And he makes a good point on that. You know, what is but and of course if you download it illegally the artist doesn't make any money. But then again, the artist isn't making any money if the stuff's already out of print. So, then there's the uh, opinion of Steve Albini, music producer of Renowned. Uh, he recently did a something on Reddit called Ask Me Anything. And in that, he actually uh, expresses his own personal views on downloading as someone who stands to make money from music. And I'll just, I'm just going to read this verbatim. You'll find links to all this in the show notes again as well. And uh, let's see here. Oh, darn it. <coughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cut this out because I actually copied and pasted the wrong thing <laughs> in my browser. Damn! <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, profe- profe- professional yeah. podcasters. Uh, Steve Albini uh, says, hot sluts now? Now, now. <laughs> there we go. Okay. I, I'm, gonna, I'm quoting Steve Albini here. I reject the term piracy. It's people listening to music and sharing it with other people, and it's good for musicians because it widens the audience for mm-hmm. music. The record industry doesn't like trading music because this year it has lost sales, but that's nonsense. Sales have declined because physical discs are no longer the distribution medium. Basically, he... Um, what his whole his idea is that it it increases listeners, but he doesn't really talk about how much money the artist makes and whether that's going to allow them to keep doing it. And so I, I I sort of see his point uh, that you can uh, actually listen to bands that you never would have gotten a chance to hear otherwise. But you know he's a producer. If a band comes to him to produce, they're going to be paying him. He has no stake in how much money the album it's the album or the band makes, except that they might not be able to hire. Um, him actually, again. that's not true. You do get um, production royalties. Sorry to sorry sorry to interrupt and like <laughs> no, no. call you out, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate being called out on that. <laughs> but still, it's it's probably not as much as he would have gotten before. Oh yeah, and I mean, and it's probably like I don't know the uh, amount, but I I think. Production royalties, I think, and I, I could be wrong here, I think are taken out before the artist's royalties are, but I don't think that it's as high a percentage. So I think it's like a lower percentage of a, a tiny, of a scotch more. I could be, I could be wrong, but I, I know it's, you, you do get, you do get uh, royalties for uh, having produced the record. Thank you. 
thank you very much for clearing <laughs> that up. But of course, there's also just the last part of this I want to go into before I let you guys talk. <laughs> about, sorry. There's, there's. Have either of you seen the the eight billion dollar iPod TED Talk? I have not. Don't, don't think so. Okay, that'll be in the show notes as well. And oh, it's the math that the record industry pulls out of their ass to justify some of their claims. That basically, if you, the gist of the talk is that if you have an iPod and you filled it up, that iPod would be worth eight billion dollars. Which is a load of horseshit. Just That's a little crazy, and I don't think I need to explain. <laughs> I don't think we need to go into why. Uh, we all we all know how to do math. So I, I I've glad my I've glad my piece. Do you, if you folks want to add uh, um, to that? <laughs> well, I think I like the piece the uh, the quote that you mentioned in the Steve LB uh, article, and it reminds me of this concept of widening the audience. Um, what he was saying was that by sort of giving away music or however, you know, getting it into people's hands, that widens the audience and that should equate to more sales. And I think that, you know, I don't know what the numbers are behind this to prove it, but you would think that making your music easy as easy as possible to get would widen your audience, which would in turn maybe eventually equate to more sales. And I'm reminded of when the Dave Matthews band was first starting out and like many sort of jam bands, they encouraged tape trading uh, of the shows. So fans could bring their own recording setups and record the live shows and, and then exchange them around for free. Uh, and that was integral to the band's popularity as they were coming up. And I don't know if they would have had the same success at the same rate uh, if they had not allowed that tape trading community to develop. And I know that they would always say that, you know, back in the early days, we would go to this venue or this town or this town and people would be singing along even though we had never been there before. And I think that speaks to the power of... of um, of that free, I don't know what you call it, free trade or free making your music easy to get and easy for people to share. Because I can't think of very many people who pirate or download maliciously. It's, at least I can't. I would never do that because, like I said before, it is always out of love for the artist. And if I can't get Umphreys McGee's first album because it's out of print, then... I want that album for my collection and I do it out of love for the band and for the music, not out of, I don't want to give them my money, you know? And I, and I think too, with, you know, if you are going to try to pirate maliciously, there's a lot, you know, easier, more effective ways to be a dick. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm taking $2 away from you. Burn. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it doesn't really work that, you know, work that well, you know? Mm hmm. But um, and the the funny thing is that you mentioned uh, with the uh, Dave Matthews and the tape training because uh, there's another band that um, is very known for having grown in in immense popularity the same way where you know people would you know make cassette copies of their demos and trade them with their friends and stuff and and, and that band is Metallica which 
is kind of funny considering their their I, stance on on it now. <laughs> right. I thought that was where you were yeah. going with that. Well, I mean, it, and it's true though. I mean, they were you know like some local metal band in in what Florida I think is where they're from, and they were just something that they had like really great buzz, and people would be like, "Oh, dude, you gotta hear this. Here, let me make you a copy of the tape. Ka chunk, ka chunk." Here, you know, and, and they'd be like, "Oh, wow, this is awesome!" And it was the strength of that duplicated demo that got them a record deal. So I just find it kind of funny now that they're 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 uh, you know not fans of that. But um, and a, a little bit of uh, anecdata, as uh, I like to say, um, for what it's worth, you know, one of the bands that I have like probably you know spent the most money on um, in terms of you know albums. And weird limited edition releases and merch and all that other kind of stuff is The Residence. And I actually discovered The Residence by downloading an MP3 of Constantinople off of Hotline uh, back in the day, which actually, you know, probably tells you just how old I am by the fact that I don't know if either of you even remember Hotline. <laughs> I, I remember Hotline. I, I was on the first wave of this back when Napster was yeah. still a thing. But um, I... I like after searching, I found an MP3 of Constantinople, fell in love with it, and, and now I have all of the Residence albums. I, I've probably given them you know thousands upon thousands of dollars mm-hmm. from that one free MP3. So yeah, I, that's yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. That's with, okay, oh, sorry. go for it. <laughs> go on. I kind of feel the same way with 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 Devo. Not to keep bringing them up, I'm not, I'm not going to flog them every episode, but I've seen them in concert. Six times I bought merchandise. I've, when Jerry Casanley put out his solo album, I actually bought it twice. I bought it on iTunes and I bought the CD. It is a good record. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, it was worth buying twice. I want, but I don't always have necessarily the money to give them. In fact, I just threw down forty bucks for on Record Store Day for their nineteen eighty one live album. Forty dollars, wow. man. And it did, they didn't even have the courtesy to put a gatefold on the sleeve. It's they have two records in a in a in a non gatefold sleeve, but yeah, it, yeah, it was worth it. Great recording. <laughs> oh, amazing! Especially yeah. for the set. Uh, I'm going to wrap around to this because there's we're talking about bootlegs, but um, I've given there's other bands that I love dearly that I haven't given nearly as much money to, like they might be giants. And to an extent, the residents. In fact, I'm just. I'm going to say it right now. As much as I like the residents, limited edition stuff drives me nuts, especially when it's compelling. <laughs> Same here. It's. I. 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 I hate buying it. Just, but it's like, it's like, look, residents, just keep this shit in print, and I'll. I'll just pay more for it. I'm fine with paying the inflated, inflated bullshit price. Just, just keep it in print, so it's not some race like they. When they did the uh, thing with Coochie Break, where they had this like weird eBay listening party thing, where they would release like ten copies every you know forty five minutes or whatever, I- I'm already losing my hair. I didn't need that to make me lose more. And, uh, and I'll be honest, I've given that a listen. I-, I I find it hard to get into. I. It's not. Yeah, I kind of dug it, but yeah, it it's. It's a bit of a, it, it's a bit of an also ran. It's more of a voice of midnight than a demon's dance alone. 
I like Voice of Midnight. Okay. Let's save that for for the for when we get to another <laughs> <resident. You're> on <laughs> target. <laughs> um, but, see, yeah, uh, I haven't given that much money. They might be giants. I, I don't have any merch of theirs. I've seen them in concert a couple, only like four times, and the first time was a free show. So yeah, I was just going to mention. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Hi, Rich. I was just going to mention before about um, you know when you mentioned that Alan or Matt, I think you mentioned it when you downloaded that copy of Constantinople and then proceeded to devour you know the entire residence catalog. If you hit, hadn't had that opportunity to that access point, sort of, you know, you wouldn't the band wouldn't have enjoyed all of that, those thousands and thousands of dollars you've given in. I'm reminded of, of uh, something Merlin Mann talks about often um, when he did his Inbox Zero talk at Google. If he had put that video behind a paywall and say you have to pay five cents to view the video, it wouldn't have become the viral you know, internet sensation and Inbox Zero, quote-unquote, wouldn't be this huge internet meme almost if uh, he hadn't given it away for free. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right, and he's been doing that with his music too. Uh, uh, I don't know, how, Matt, if you li- you don't listen to Back to Work, huh. but you should. But he's been doing uh, another show uh, as part of yeah, well, as part of as part of a sponsorship with uh, a website hosting company called Squarespace. He's been doing a song uh, a week, extolling their virtues. And the most and the latest one is a dead on parody of Low Life Era New <laughs> Order, which I love the hell out of. You really should cool. check it out. Yeah, it's pretty great. All done in, on GarageBand on the iPad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, a little bit on it's the Mac, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I guess it, it, it's this, it's a balancing act, I think is the, way to, is the best way to describe it. We don't have, there's no clear answer on this. I didn't, I didn't expect to come to mm-hmm. one. But it's, it's good to know I'm not the only one who feels just a little bit conflicted about yeah, and, this. Yeah, and kind of on that residence tip, too, is I know that the residents have, you know, or the Cryptic Corporation has gone on record as saying, you know, we are against downloading, or at least, you know, unofficial downloads. They have the download store now, but, like, we are against free downloading. And so I do feel a little, I guess, weird that I've, you know, I got into them via downloading, and I have downloaded, you know, bootlegs that they're all like, <laughs> but, but I, I think it's kind of makes up yeah. for it that by the fact that I've, you know... Like, when I was getting into them after hearing Constantinople, they were all records that I had bought, you know. It was, like, I think that was my, like, birthday gift for my parents that year. Was we, like, went down to Tower, and I basically cleaned out the residence section. <laughs> nice. It's not that nice. impressive. They only have, like, maybe five records. <laughs> well, this is, it is Tower we're talking about. And, and I'm willing to bet those records had been sitting there Probably, for five yeah. years. Probably, <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless like one of those. What, what? Let's assume this was like 1998. So maybe they just gotten in one copy of Wormwood. Oh uh, no, it was. Uh, this was a uh, 97. This was before Wormwood. So it was basically okay. like they had the new ESD issues, but that was about it. And they had like, I I, I remember getting like Duckstab and uh, um, Residue Do and maybe Commercial. I can't remember. I think there was like one or two others, but I know it wasn't anything like, you know, Eskimo or the mole mole stuff or yeah. anything. You got the accessible pretty stuff. Pretty much, to start yeah. With. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I want to wrap around a little bit just to bootlegs because, as I mentioned in the first episode, I I, tr I, I work and I deal with bootlegs. I've got a stack of blank CDs waiting for me to put four di four discs worth of demo recordings by Devo on them for a fa a fellow fan. And yeah, it's interesting the the uh, the way bootlegs. I, I love bootlegs. There was a link in the show notes last week that I only, that I only barely touched on an essay about how much I love bootlegs. <laughs> Maybe I should put that into this week's show notes. And, I mean, I know, Matt, you collect some of it. And do you listen to bootlegs at all, Andrew? Um, some. Most of the... You're talking about, like, live bootlegs? Yeah, more or less. A lot of the bands that I listen to um, are primarily live bands, and so they make it very easy to acquire... Um, well, I guess they wouldn't be bootlegs, but like Freeze uh, McGee records all of their live shows and they do, you know, 150, 200 shows a year and they record all of them and put the soundboards up on uh, umlive.net and you can buy all of the shows that you've been to and all the shows that you haven't been to, which I'm sure has been extremely lucrative uh, for them. Yeah, I know they might be giants did that a while back. I, don't, I wish they hadn't yeah, stopped. Yeah, and I think Fugazi is doing that too yeah. now. Right. I think the key difference with like live bootlegs versus authorized live downloads is that you don't really buy bootlegs. If you're if you're buying a bootleg, unless it's like an old vinyl pressed bootleg, then you're kind of getting you're kind of screwed. Yeah, you're yourself. kind of a sucker. <laughs> yeah. I, um, there's there's. A oh, I actually of, remember um, there was a, a um a tiny record store that um, actually had like a fair number of bootlegs in mixed in. They were like officially a used record store, but they had a fair number of quote unquote imports <laughs> that were, you know, uh, obviously, yes. you know, printed out on someone's shitty inkjet. But it was like funny to me because I would see them and I would, I go, Oh, this would be kind of cool. Cause they had like crush all boxes. My friend Zappa, the uh, precursor to um, you are what you is in Tinseltown rebellion. And I was like, oh, wow, this would be really cool. I looked at the price, and I was like, oh, it's $25. You, you guys know the internet exists, right? <laughs> They're not there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> mm. The last time I was in New York, uh, I stomped into a record store in St. Mark's Place, of which there are sadly fewer and fewer. Um, but thank one, thankfully, this one's still there. And they'd recently, I don't know if they switched owners or they just caught up with the idea that, hey, People are hipsters are buying records. Let's stock up used records instead of mostly used CDs. And I'm going in the back. And I'm looking, and I'm seeing oh, all these bootleg LPs. And that I can sort of mentally justify spending money on as a bootleg because this is an artifact. It's from a time before it was ubiquitous. It's got cover art. It's got liner notes. It's got a reality also, that, that, that crappy burns don't have. Right. Then again, we're, we're, they're also charging anywhere from like 40 to 100 bucks for some of these. I'm just like, eh, no. I should actually, I, I, was, I used to be a huge Pink Floyd fan. And I still have a few interesting Pink Floyd bootlegs from when I was a really hardcore Pink Floyd fan. It's a shame there's this, there used to be this great resource called pfroio.de, which is down. Otherwise, I'd link to it in the show notes. And they had a, a 
because they, they were around, they were having bootlegs of them at the prime of this LP press bootleg thing. And some of, some of it's really interesting stuff. Some of it's absolute junk. And some of it's just bootlegging some other, some, some guy bootlegging another bootleg. But it was, it was a great resource just to see what was yeah, out I there. I just feel like a sucker, you know, with the idea of buying bootlegs. And I mean, it's something like where if I am going to buy something, I want it to, you know, at least ostensibly go to the artist or at least, you know, I guess the used record store, if it's cheap, you know, it's like if I, if I get like a, you know, a, a $2 tubes record or something, I mean, that, that's fair, but I mean, it's like legit, it's a legit item, but I mean, two bucks isn't bad, but I mean, if I'm going to pay for like a $50, you know, hypothetical tubes bootleg, that that's just silly to me because it's, you know, it's not really, I, I'm, I'm getting something that doesn't really help anybody that's, you know, I can get for free anyway. So I don't know. I just I just found this uh this quote from Tom York. I think that's how you say his name, but uh from Radiohead talking to Time about the release of In Rainbows, which is the album where they put it up online themselves and they could they allowed fans to pay whatever they wanted to pay. And uh the quote goes, this is the Time magazine. He says, quote, I like the people at our record company, but the time is at hand when you have to ask why anyone needs one. And yes, it would probably give us some perverse pleasure to say F you to this decaying business model. And I think that's, I think that's kind of insightful because the internet has really changed the the possibilities for distributing your own stuff. And like when the internet wasn't around, I could see how. I mean, downloading wouldn't have been around either. But it seems like the the argument from the record companies would have made more sense when. Uh, the internet was not available because now it just seems like, you know, I mean, I have no experience in, in recording or releasing albums or anything, but it just feels like, why would you go through the trouble of going through a record company when you could, you know, via Squarespace, make your own website and put your own stuff up for free. It just seems like the record companies are kind of almost stuck in the past and kind of, floundering and saying you know don't you need us or you know when it's really like we they used to need them, sort of i think for for me i think if if record labels are to continue to exist i think that they would be better served by uh embracing the role of gatekeeper that they have you know kind of played in the past mm-hmm. and i'm thinking less of the majors and more of kind of uh the boutique labels like say the numero group who you know, pretty much, you know, do really good compilations. And a lot of times you can, like, you know, blind buy something from the Numera group and know that it's probably going to be pretty good if you've liked their other other releases. And I think, I think if, a, if labels are to survive, that's going to be kind of how they go. And if the, the big labels are smart, which they're not, because I've long said they're run by the stupidest motherfuckers on earth. Um, if they were smart... They would break up, or not break up, but at least, you know, go into many little, um, I guess, boutique imprints. Like, they kind of used to in the in the uh, the 90s was kind of good for that. But, I mean, do, like, and have, have the boutique imprints be curated. And so that way you can go, oh, you know, I like the stuff that, you know, Blue D Blue puts out. I'm, I, you know, 
they have a brand new artist I've never heard of. I'm going to take a bogey on it. I'm not disagreeing with, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I do want to at least mention, you know, David Lowry does point out though that recording isn't exactly free, especially if you want to do it well. You've still got to find, you know, studio time costs money and a good engineer costs money. And without the investment of some outside force, not necessarily a record label, but without something investing into an artist or a band, it can be damned expensive to produce a record in a recording studio. I mean, it's getting to the point, I'm not saying you can't do something good on your own. But again, it's sort of the, it's again that sort of catch twenty two. Um, you know, the record label does at least the one one of the few benefits it has is the ability to subsidize this professional recording equipment and professional recording time in a professional recording studio. Mm-hmm. And if an artist is making less money overall, that's less money they can spend to record the next record. And and I, it's, I'm more or less just playing devil's advocate and on this. I think that's a fair cop. I mean, and I think what in, in my like my mind for the you know the boutique labels. I mean, like I guess Numero wasn't a great um, example because they're mostly a reissue label of the weird and the wonderful. But like I, I think with you know like the hypothetical major label boutique imprint thing is that I think they would still act as a as a label in terms of paying for stuff. And it, it, again, it probably wouldn't be as much as, as you're saying, but with digital recording too, I mean like costs themselves have also gone down just because you don't have to pay for tape and, and you know, a lot of the, the physical stuff of that. But um, I, I think that, you know, like I guess with the, what I'm thinking of is the uh, boutique imprints would still act as a label, but instead of saying, you know, Hey, we're a label, you know, we we help you record da, 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 da. like more of I, I think they would be better like branding themselves I guess if you want to get into you know corporate douchebag speak you know branding themselves as as gatekeepers rather than trying to play that gatekeeper role down to be all like yeah we're there for you we want you know stuff that everyone likes you know be all like no we're we we do this niche and you know have like you know the the curators you know, be really good A&R type of guys, you know, and, and do that. I mean, I think there is a, a a place for that in the industry, but I think it's weird the way that the, the labels tend to, you know, downplay that. And it's like, it's basically if an executive comes in and champions this band, if they're gone, you know, the new executive is going to go, you, you have the stink of the old guy on there and drop you no matter how good you are. And I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, like it happened to Robbie Fulks, happened to the Sugar Plastic, happened to like a lot of really great bands. And it's fucking stupid. (laughs) Mm. Of course, one thing I do want to point out is even though with digital, everything's gotten cheaper. If you want Steve Albini, you're going to have to do tape because he doesn't do digital at all. Of course, yeah. Um. I don't know about you guys, unless you have anything else to add to that, Andrew. I think that I, might, I think we've that's I think it. that's a show. We're almost at uh, yeah, we're almost at ninety minutes. So unless we want to go with, into like John Syracuse uh, <laughs> uh, length on this, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do do the whole like you know you can you can see the outtakes on our website and 
where we really tear into each other and <laughs> the real state of the art throwdown. Yes. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck <Yeah>. you. <laughs> We're running the explicit tag for this one. Yeah. I think so. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, once again, this has been crush on radio and I'm, I guess okay. I'll do the outro. <laughs> you can find us at crushonradio.com and you can follow us on Twitter at, at crushonradio. Yeah, there's got to be an easier way to say that. <laughs> and again, I'm Richard, I'm Richard J. Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at sanspoint, S-A-N-S-P-O-I-N-T. And that's also my URL, sanspoint.com. And you folks. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was being polite because I think I went second last time. <laughs> um, and I am Matt Keeley from kittysneezes.com. That's K-I-T-T-Y-S-N-E-E-Z-E-S dot com. And you can also find me on Twitter as at kittysneezes and also on Tumblr as kittysneezes.tumblr.com if you want to see, you know, pictures of horses. And uh, I'm Andrew Marvin, and you guys can find me uh, online at andrewmarvin.net, and that's my Twitter name as well. Andrew Marvin is one word. And um, yeah, good show, guys. Thank you. Oh, we are we are on iTunes now, so if you like yes. what you hear, please do rate and review yes. us. The more people who do that, the more oh. people. We'll find us. Rate and review us, and we we just want to be judged, please. (laughs) If you don't, if if we don't get uh, at the top of the music charts in iTunes, that by next week there will be no episode three. (laughs) Also, some blood will be shed. Unless there is, don't know who's yet. Yours. (laughs) And nobody should report us to the authorities for anything that we might have said about downloading on this podcast. Yeah, this is just our little secret, okay? Exactly. Shh. Please don't sue us. <laughs> and there will be an episode three. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. It's great Thanks, talking guys. to you guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.